Today, we're more connected than ever. We're also more distracted. We've got things to say. But is anyone listening? At BB&T, we make sure your voice is heard. We listen and understand your needs so you can live your best financial life. Everyone else may be distracted, but our focus remains on you. BB&T, all we see is you. BB&T member FDIC. Welcome to Fair Game, the podcast with a firm focus on Irish sportswomen, coming to you from the Head Stuff Podcast Network. I'm Emily Glenn. Before we get into the episode, we have some big news in Fair Game HQ. Fair Game co-founder and arguably the brains behind the operation, Elaine Buckley, has hung up her podcasting boots. It wasn't an easy decision for Elaine because Fair Game is something she's incredibly proud of and has loved working on. But the show goes on without her and you never know, she might make a surprise appearance as a guest in future episodes. But we'll continue to make Fair Game with some special co-hosts. And for this episode, our 28th ever, we're joined by best-selling author, columnist, activist and celesbian, Una Mullally. <laughs> Una, welcome to Fair Game. Elaine, who? Um, I'm delighted to be joining you as co-host for this episode on Pride in Sport. Before we introduce our Whopper guest, just a quick reminder of where you can find Fair Game. Check out headstuff.org for the full archive of episodes. And Fair Game is also available to subscribe to on iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. If you enjoy the podcast, then do us a favour and rate and review it on your app of choice. You did that very well. Thank you very nice much. Uh, follow us on Twitter too while you're at it, at Fair Game Cast to stay up to speed with everything that's happening in the world of women's sports on and off the field both at home and abroad and sharing episodes on the likes of Twitter LinkedIn and WhatsApp goes a long way we have one gal who I know definitely has a very big WhatsApp group waiting for an episode <laughs> update um, but yeah it really helps so well uh, it's June so that means uh, it's Pride Month as uh, straight people call it I think now <laughs> happy Pride Month said no LGBT person ever anyway it doesn't matter <laughs> but Pride is in June and cities across the world are draping themselves in the rainbow flag and LGBT plus communities are taking to the streets in celebration and protest in acts of affirmation and demonstrations of the community's visibility we're joined by two sporting powerhouses to talk about Pride in sport. First up is the one-stick-wielding woman, captain of the Pink Ladies, Dublin's answer to Bet Porter, my script says. <laughs> Rachel Barry, you're very welcome to Fair Game. Thanks very much, Una. I'll take the Bet Porter reference uh, any time <laughs> of the week. Yep, I'm very happy with that. And in the other Fair Game hot seat is a woman who we could introduce as a vital member of the Dublin Ladies football panel who won an All-Ireland in 2010 and scored two goals in the 2014 final. We could also introduce her as the ex-captain of the Irish women's basketball team who first donned the green gansey as a nipper when she played for the under 18s irish women's football team this multi-sport playing lady made the switch to the oval ball at the ripe age of 35 when she joined the irish rugby 15 squad as a fierce member of the front row playing in two six nations campaigns and making her mark in the 2017 world cup and winning the 2017 players women's player of the year Lindsay peach did i get all that right yeah, you did. Except the lady part. <laughs> that, was <probably> the only <laughs> one. that was wrong, but I, well, you know, I liked it. 
Well, that aside, you're very welcome to play. Thank you very much. Uh, Guys, thank you so much for joining us, uh, especially for this episode on Pride and Sport. So um, I suppose how we'll structure the episode for everyone listening is it's just a a chat about uh, sexuality in sport, um, the roles of kind of out women uh, in sport. So we're just going to have a chat about that. Um, And I suppose to kick that off, Lindsay, I'm going to look at you first, if that's okay. Uh, you featured in an article around the time of the World Cup, uh, which which ran the headline, Without my wife behind me, I would never have played for Ireland. So talk to us a bit about that article. What prompted you to write it? Um, I think because, well, firstly, it's, you know, it's hard being an elite athlete in a very amateur um, world that is women's sport here, especially in this country. So, um, like, we're not paid. And as much as it's... Like I would never give it back and the memories I can are, pri- you know, I have are priceless. Um, the bottom line is I wouldn't be able to do it without support of my wife and my family, my parents, um, my sisters, Claire's parents, like everyone pitched in and babysat and everything like that. So um, it, it was an opportunity for me to acknowledge those that my support network really, because without them, like I wouldn't be able to do it. You're, I went part time in work before the World Cup. Um, obviously, we had a, a young man who was only... Um, just coming up to two um he needed like he wasn't actually allowed in crash because he was a prem he was premi so we were relying on all these babysitters so we had, sort of had an excel spreadsheet of who <laughs> could do what um so i think it's important and it's important to yeah give claire that credit that you know it's lovely being in the paper and it's lovely being you know um approached by media and you're always trying to really develop and highlight the sport itself and really put it up on that pedestal and that platform but I think it's okay to just say you know um, it is tough at times it is a sacrifice away from your family and financially away from work and um, without this amazing woman I you know especially um, she took the brunt of me being away I couldn't do it you know so it was, it was lovely and extremely natural do you know it doesn't to me I have a wife I'm sure if it was um, a male rugby player or, or, or a male GAA he, he'd say his wife or she, you know a female See, who might be um, straight would say her husband so Do you feel compelled though to represent as an out athlete like do you feel a sense of responsibility? Um, yeah because for so long I think in my early 20s I gave well firstly I gave myself such a hard time um, and it, it was a real struggle and I was angry and I, I hated other lesbians and, and I'm I say that with such um, upset now because I was just in a really bad place. Um, now I was like 18, 19, like my early 20s. And then I, I struggled with, I suppose, dabbling for want of a better word. And then I didn't really come out officially until I was nearly 30. Um, I know I came out to my family at my 30th birthday with dressed as Captain America with a pint to Guinness in one hand and a, and a microphone in the other. So... And it that was that's quite a story. <laughs> I'm like, that's well, an Amy Poehler film right yeah. there. I think. <laughs> and I, I just felt so liberated, and it was such a relief. It was like opening the closet doors and taking a big breath of fresh air. And I don't want anybody to go through what I went through. And it's very cliche, and I know obviously Hannah very well, and she would have spoke openly about her 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 difficulty difficulties with mental health and people go through and express in their own way and I just couldn't go back there I would never want anyone to to be in that place that I was in and I think it's up to me to be to be very open and honest and not not put it in people's face but just be me and Mm. but it's very important to yeah represent who I am and what I stand for and that's um an openly gay woman who's extremely proud and very open and I'm happy, very happy. I was listening to a podcast recently um, and somebody was talking about the difference that 
coming out of the closet made to their sporting performance because they had a kind of subconsciously been putting so much energy into hiding that 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 part of themselves and and you know monitoring themselves and um, that when they stopped doing that that they found that actually their perform their performance was just kind of automatically better it felt like they were finally giving 100% of themselves to mm-hmm. their sport and their performance was that something that you kind of experienced definitely um i wouldn't say fully because i suppose like in a sense i'm i'm a very different person off a pitch or a court than i am on it and i suppose um, that anger and and ira- like just simply irrational being now when I'm in that mode like there's no point in talking to me and like that even took Claire an awful long time and friends of mine teammates an awful long time to just give me that space because I'm a very different person um, yes I was angry and I suppose like what you said there you know about representing it took a long time for me to understand that people my actions had repercussions on people and how they viewed me and it wasn't until really I came out and became more comfortable and not as angry with people that um, I realised my behaviours and, and my actions had an effect on people and that included just me thinking that they had a judgement on me even though they didn't it was all in my head and uh, so yeah it, that really then again changed me into what I wanted to represent as a person and, and that helped with the weight off my shoulders by coming out just helped with all of that to just relax mm. and be comfortable in my own sh- in my in my own skin and even to the extent of you want to be competitive, but at times I was irrationally competitive where people hated me. Like the first time I arrived to Irish basketball training, like I did get a cold reaction. And I remember talking to Michelle Fahey, who I co captain with, and she goes, I hated you. I hated you. You just wanted to hurt me. And I was like, <laughs> well, I didn't actually. You were just in a different jersey and it was my job to do whatever. But um, and they were just little eye openers. And I was like, God, you're such a horrible person. But it, it was all intertwined with just finding me and letting me just come out. Rachel, you are captain of the Pink Ladies, renowned Pink Ladies hockey team. Um, that kind of journey to self-acceptance and self-knowledge must be something that you've witnessed. Yeah, absolutely. I, I suppose and experienced personally. Um, I started the Pink Ladies as a, as a player only two years ago. Um, I um, And I suppose the, the, fir- the first thing that occurred that occurred to me when I started was that the clo- it's so important, exactly as Lindsay says, to step up and actually realise that your what what you do and what you say impacts people. So the purpose of Pink Ladies is to provide a space for LGBT people to engage with other LGBT LGBT people in a manner that isn't just a nightclub. Mm. Um, coming out is a journey that is very personal to people. Um, it's important, I think, whenever we're talking about coming out to, you know, acknowledge that as uh, as um, freeing and as uh, as as wonderful as I think it is to be out, it's not for everyone. It's not for everyone in every part of their life. Um, so you can be out to some people in in some parts of your life. You can you can feel that it's not okay or not safe for you to be out in other parts of your life, and that's fine and that's a personal decision for you. But if we have play spaces where people can feel free to be themselves and we have role models like Lindsay um, to you know make people feel that it's safe to come out and it's safe to progress along that journey at their own pace um, then I think we've done a, a really important thing and that is as relevant today um, in, in my view as since marriage equality I think people talk about oh you know marriage equality sure it's all sorted now we're all fine Ireland is the best little country in the world in which to be gay aren't we brilliant um, you know I've been taking training and 
being at training in Pink Ladies uh, since marriage equality. And over that time, we've had a wide range of people attending for different reasons, whether they've moved to a new town and they don't have any gay mates here and they'd quite like some gay mates. That's fine. Or whether they're going through a difficult situation and they don't feel they can be out to anyone in their social circle and they simply want a place to, um, you know, come train and have a few points. And, and, and providing those spaces provides that um, place for that journey to take place. Mm-hmm. And it's really important, I think. Pink Ladies is a cult, though. Like, everybody oh, absolutely. is... Uh, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> I've never played hockey, but um, one of my mates, Atain Kidney, was the, the founder of, of the club, and I've followed it um, since, since the founding of it. And the enthusiasm that women have for that team bordering on... Uh, obsession. A, an obsession that I've never actually really seen. Maybe with, like... You know, when I briefly lived in Boston with like fans of the Red Sox or something, who like <laughs> basically have shrines in their gas. I think to they're the two team. comparable teams. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So popular. <laughs> but see, that's the thing, isn't it? Like, uh, like I can only speak for me, but I mean, I suppose we, you know, when I started to come out, it was it was still very old school, and you you had your you know your few openly gay athletes mm. dotted around but at the same time you you had like that one night a month where everyone yeah. converged on a nightclub and. Mm. You really, yeah, you'd get some, you know, return on it, but you weren't going to meet people. And that's where the pink lady is so important. And I suppose when I um, sort of transferred over from basketball to GA, I was open to, to clean O'Connor and, and a lovely small network of people who helped me be more comfortable in just my own skin and, and probably coming out. And, and that's where it's important to, to network. And I know they're a cult because it creates such a good environment where people are comfortable and, and whether they're gay or not, just even because sometimes as I'm sure like when we get together as especially in rugby we're sort of the boys you know but when we get together boys will be boys and we you know but we're comfortable in that situation but not everyone will be comfortable in that conversation or whatever and that's where you can just it's nice to just mingle and get different personalities and you know bounce off people and absolutely and I think I mean look I've joined I've I've joined many clubs over the years whether through university whether outside on whatever basis but I think the different thing this is the first LGBT club I've ever been part of and the difference between an LGBT club and you know just your normal Mm -hmm. sports club is that a club that is founded on the very premise of equality has a different atmosphere to it yeah um, and I, and that is why I think it's a cult because, so this is my theory anyway, um, Elaine Buckley of this parish might disagree with me, I think, and you might disagree with me, but I think that people attach this huge importance to this club because it is open to anyone, mm-hmm. whether you are an Irish international, whether you walk into um, into the hockey club as, as one former player who won't mind me saying this, did uh, holding it like a like a hiking stick um <laughs> you can you can go into that club I think that might have been me uh, no it wasn't it wasn't you emily um you can go into that club on the, on an equal pegging and you can just have the crack and you can engage in an environment of people who are open to an understanding of people who might find it a little bit difficult to get chatting to people who might not know anyone on yeah. the pitch um, I mean when I say it's a cult I mean it's the most open cult in, in the world like it is obviously always so. accepting new players cult yeah it's basically you know, what was that organisation in wild wild country you know anybody could kind of rock up to Oregon or wherever they were but I want to ask you something Lindsay just in relation to you have such an array of experience in, in different sports and different disciplines and what do you 
perceive to be from your own personal experience the difference in culture in terms of whether are some sports more accepting or uh, are other sports you know you kind of it's a more don't ask don't tell thing how did you experience across let's say the, the three sports that you're kind of most accomplished in um, well say I'll have to be careful with this because Claire was like you can't just discriminate on it that's not what I want to do but at the time say I was playing basketball as I said there wasn't very many there was sort of the question mark and the gas thing was you know in my head I wasn't you know actually she won't mind me saying Amory Healy was from Killinall in the back arse of Tipperary right and she went to Jacksonville on, on um, scholarship so she went very naive lovely country girl and came back and she knew the wealth of the world so when we were in Harry Burns when I said to me so how long are you gay and I was like, excuse me okay now at the time I was wearing grey slacks which were boys a fabulous v-neck I think pink jumper at the time from Zara men's section and a fabulous maybe pinstripe shirt I thought I was only like if I was chocolate I'd eat myself <laughs> however what the physical was displaying and what was internal <laughs> were two contrasting things. So she was like saying, you know, when she was on the bus in the States, everything was so open and she just obviously, she, I just assumed you were, you know, and I was like, oh God. So in basketball, though, as I said, the physical of me was giving off something and my co- coach asked me directly, you know, are you a dyke or, or what? And I was like, Jesus Christ, Mark, this was openly, you know, in a pub, but just obviously I was giving off something different and I was like, I was just bombarded but basketball wasn't open like other than Angie McNally and Suzanne McGuire they would, would would have been the only two um, openly gay women in, in the whole basketball now I'm sure there was others that may have come out at this stage um, but I found that that there that wasn't and maybe it was my where I was in life mm. but I didn't feel it was very it wasn't a, a very wide um, gay community on the other hand then when I went to GAA obviously I'd actually a, a good number of the Dublin girls and obviously through the GAA community were gay maybe not as openly but it was obviously starting to come out and you know we were starting to evolve and and be more open about our sexuality but yeah I, I did personally find from my experience I'm not saying that's the case throughout all sports but my experience going through the sports I felt um, GAA and definitely rugby is 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 definitely more open I find from um, being a gay woman um, and I remember my mum saying um, so I was talking to my friend and her daughter plays soccer and I was like oh very good mum and she was like did you know like a lot of women who play soccer are gay and I was like yeah like that's really well known she goes and you never told me it was like I was, I'd lied to her for this <laughs> you know amount yeah so I think we still but this is the real this is the real nub of the question when we talk about sexuality in sport right mm. because a lot of the time there are these conversations about homophobia in sport and I always say that that, that the conversation that people are actually talking about is male homophobia in sport yeah so this is the nub of the question right why is it with homophobia in sport being such a huge thing uh, talked about all the time particularly in the let's say in the Premier League in in mm-hmm. in England where there's not one out male player um, why is it that women's sport seems far more accepting and accommodating of people of different uh, expressions of sexuality and men's sport is not? I think again, it co- or the perception of men's sport that yeah, it, it is isn't. The and, and the evidence, I suppose, of men's sport is that it isn't. I remember Candice Wiggins, the basketballer um, who was like the third draft pick for the WNBA mm-hmm. in 2008 and she 
uh, said she quit basketball because she was a straight woman and she felt that there were just like way too many lesbians and was making all these wild accusations of 98% of the WNBA being gay and all that kind of stuff and she would have played for the Sparks and yeah. and, and stuff like that. So there there is this perception that, uh, you know, if you are... Uh, a GA player, an Irish, a rugby player, um, whatever. That there are a large number of gay women playing. So why is that the case? That that those sports seem to be far more accommodating and accepting of people, and people seem to be able to out on their teams and to the fans. And what can men's sport learn from that then? But why is it? I guess is what I'm, what I'm saying, or why? I don't. I don't know because it? I think this unfortunately we still have men still have to carry that stigma that they have to be this big macho masculine man like Mm. um, when Gareth Thomas came out gay like I think you know he's an extremely attractive man and he's a Mm. manly man and I just thought he was a fabulous role model and people really should have followed him it was Mm. the time where you know Mm. they should have rolled in behind him and I just think that they carry that and it's just again John Fashionu and his brother like wow to come out in what the early 80s he was a black man he was in the Premier League he was gay and it was even his own brother told him to absolutely shut the hell up and you know you know curb the feelings um, and especially soccer well you mentioned basketball there and like uh, I think there's only one Jason Collins was yeah. the only uh, openly gay player in the NBA and funny enough when Brittany Griner, Griner came out uh, nobody really batted an eyelid um, 4 out of 12 of the the USA women's team who played in Rio were gay and again nobody makes a big deal about it but we still have and we've had NBA players openly say that they will not share a dressing room with a, with a gay man and I think it especially in the States I would think it, it it's a very much a mixture of things from you know a cultural background religion um and then again, the stigma of just like you're you're a dude and you're playing basketball and that's, mm. you know, and I just don't get it because what I found is no matter what, it, for me, it's not about my sexuality. If if you meet me today and you like me and, and you like me for me, you're not judging me as a, a gay woman, mm. you know, and I think sometimes, sometimes possibly women are cold because you're just new to the team. And as I said, I got a cold um, response when I went to basketball, but that's because of my displays when we were playing in club but once the girls got to know me and I, I just relaxed with them and got to you know just be that funny jovial self you know they were able to judge me for me it's mm. it's, it's regardless mm. of sexuality and I can't understand why mm. men can't put that to the side what about sex do you think it's more a, that's more a problem of sexism mm. because if you I mean I think if you have the perception is that uh, being a gay man makes you more effeminate so it makes you I mean slightly less than do you know what I mean mm, so there's a mis- it's, misogyny it's misogyny about gender norms yeah. rather than sexual identity than or? purely homophobia yeah I think so I think there's some something ingrained there because I think if you look at other sports like if you look at men who who perform more maybe more traditionally feminine sports like you know ballet or whatever mm. you wouldn't do you get the same or ice kind skating of, or exactly those kind of things and then also we see I mean women who perform sports are maybe seen as a little bit more masculine. Mm. So they're mm. not as frowned upon or as it, it's kind yeah. of women leveling up and the men becoming more feminine and they're for leveling down. I mean, yeah. do you well, think I, I get that. But at the same time, if you are already playing at an elite level mm. and you are already like an amazing sports person, um, I just find it remarkable 
that in in you know in 2018 particularly on on well in rugby and and soccer and I mm. suppose GA to a lesser extent although there have obviously been out male GA players mm. that that yeah. still can I mean you cannot tell me that you know the same, yeah. you know, 10% or whatever the stat is in the population of those players are are queer men. Well, this is it. I mean, look, put it this way. There are 736 players in the World Cup. Allegedly, not one of them is gay, mm. right? I mean, we clearly have an underrepresented population. There have been eight Premier League players ever who have come out. That includes your Justin Fashionews. Uh, it includes your um, peop- your players who have come out and retired yeah. at the same time, a la Robbie Rogers. Um, in, in 2013 it includes your players who have come out after retirement a la your Thomas Hitzelsbergers who is probably the most high profile yeah. player mm. ever to have come out and he didn't feel he could do it until after he retired um, there's a few pieces to this I think um, number one is the um, I suppose the, the stereotyping I mean, uh, uh, Lindsay referred to it Emily referred to it there is an expectation possibly sometimes although I haven't experienced it personally that you know women who play certain sports possibly there is a high level of um of of, of lesbianism or or, or 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 being bi or or being on the queer spectrum somewhere yeah for people who play that just sport. perceived so there's an expect- as being more butch or exactly, whatever yeah. yeah i mean there's an expectation there whereas the you flip it for guys and it's the opposite expectation you're meant to be this greek god kind of stereotype um so, so you're breaking you're breaking through a stereotype there um i think there's also the the I mean, if we look at the the um, the sports where it is more difficult for people to come out, so let's take football. The profile of Premier League footballers is stratospheric. I mean, even if you're, you know, for a perceived lower level team, so your team in the bottom half of the table, everyone around the world knows your name. Um, I don't know about the people around this table, but I found coming out. A pretty stressful experience mm-hmm. I mean if you are coming out in a situation where you are dealing with that level of pressure um, and where a large level of your income where, where your income kind of will stop after reaching a certain age and where you will have to in some cir- uh, circumstances rely on endorsements and rely on sponsorship to keep your level of earnings the way it is after your career you will be I think it's natural to have a concern as to how it might be perceived by members of the public so I think the way we handle it, to go to your question, is we need a watershed moment. Yeah, we need a group of players, and indeed, and there was a suggestion um, in October last year um, from a former director of Leeds United that there was a group of, tw- of twenty players that he knew about, um, and he stressed at the time that he he didn't know about them only through Leeds United or or through that connection. But he allegedly there was a group of twenty players in the UK in the Premier League who are ready to come out and who are considering the possibility. And I think if that happened, it would be a dramatic change. Yeah, especially if people came out together, because then you have that solidarity. Yeah. But I do think around the, you know, the stuff around endorsements and so on, the fears around that, I think at this stage they're quite, you know, they're they're not well founded because actually Indeed. every single brand, we know how kind of corporate, corporate pride has become and all that yeah. kind of stuff yeah. um, you know every single brand would jump on those yeah. players Absolutely. like you would literally they would actually you know probably move their careers forward yeah. they would be getting far more opportunities than like yeah. boring old straight soccer player you know like yeah. I, I genuinely think there is I, if there I mean and 
I think sometimes that, that what players are worried about ultimately are the fans. Mm. You know, are, are they going to get loads of hassle every time they... See, that's where I can see it. And I know obviously the Premier League have um, have stra- started to introduce strategies where they're sort mm. of um, really start to bring in equality and change the minds. And to me, and an outsider, and obviously hopefully not too harsh on this, it's, there's still a culture, say in English football now, in English Premier football, and the same thing. The players are up on a pedestal and they want to be a man's man and they follow a man's man who plays football. Mm-hmm. And until exactly what you're saying we change oh, the opinion and just mm. the culture of it and that's where I think if 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 that's going to happen with the Premier League I think sp- sponsors have to come in mm. and really be ready to jump on it yeah. no more than when the reaction I don't know if you've seen the AIG video with the Black Ferns about um, diversity and strength right, so, yeah, yeah. Uh, which I just spine tingling and it was just brilliant it was just again right we won't defeat the enemy in one but thousands of millions of us will defeat you and that's mm. exactly where people have to roll in mm. you know hands together rope it in and yeah. just you know do you I think know. that happened in Irish sport for women do you think that that I mean you've your career Lindsay has spanned kind of three or four sports mm-hmm. over a number of years like d- did you see that kind of grow did you did you notice a tipping point or was it just a gradual thing where the fans don't seem to care about about Irish women who are queer? Uh, on a personal level, I, I don't think, as I said, they, ju- they judge you as the athlete, they judge you as the player. Um, I'd never, ever describe myself as a skillful player, but what I would hope that people see from me is that I just give every last ounce that I have and because you're willing to put your body in the line or your head where no one else will put their foot is exactly how you win people over. And just that... Um, you just ooze that patriotism and that nationalism and that just one. So again, you're, I, f- I found personally that they judged me as a player and me as a person. And uh, we actually got an email last year. Our manager read out that, you know, a, a mum a wrote in to say that the girls were so giving up their time off, obviously after playing for a match and being away from their families. And, you know, it was lovely to even get that little bit. And again, they're not judging any of us as a mother or a, a sister or a gay person or a straight person they're just judging the fact that these girls are after giving up their time giving everything they could for their country and they've mm-hmm. come to spend some time and sign autographs and meet and take pictures with their children mm-hmm. who like the crowds in Donnybrook this year were outstanding mm-hmm. and I just hope that will grow and again it'll bring back I suppose sponsors trying to roll in be try, trying mm-hmm. to just increase the level of women's sport and, and trying to demand that you know unions you know invest as much in their women's sports as their men's Do you think we've done enough to discourage homophobia so I mean every couple of years you get people get absolute wagons like Margaret Court who come out and say that you know I don't even know they just com- compare uh, queer people to, to Hitler I think was her latest one like just bananas things and then there are these renewed calls for things like to rename Margaret Court Stadium um, and I mean are we doing enough in terms of sanctions in terms of discouraging open homophobia and sledging on the pitch I no. think that yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, like I mean, no, I would, I would fully agree. I think that it has to be a more community approach. I think the most, one of the most impressive steps forward this that I saw this year was when, kind of out of nowhere, and I maybe I missed the party on this one, but um, the F the Irish team just announced, oh yeah, you know, for Jenna Shea's uh, testimonial, we're going to put rainbow numbers on the back of our shirts. Mm. I mean, I just thought that was a really community oriented gesture that cost them very little 
um, that was announced to not a huge amount of fanfare, but gave that them a lot of goodwill. That gave gesture. Them, well, it gave mm. them a lot of goodwill chill. because yeah. it was just it was very very simple, and it was a statement that your national team stands with you. And you know, any young LGBT person who you know perhaps is going through that process would think, you know what, actually, if I ever got onto the Irish team, I would be in an environment where I would not be, you know targeted in a locker room yeah. because of um, of who I am but I mean the fact of the matter is you get the look people like Margaret Court they're go- they exist <laughs> you're not going to change you're it. not going to change them and that's diversity I mean diversity of opinion is diversity of opinion but the fact of the matter is it should be dealt with appropriately and proportionally uh, and in the, in the same way as you would deal with it in any other workplace context if it takes place on the pitch you um, put in place sanctions in the same way as you know uh, the Premier League and and other bodies deal with racist statements. You put in place bans. In terms of dealing with, in terms of dealing with stuff kind of off the pitch, it's a judgment call. Um, if it's kind of a a personal thing, I think people can sometimes say things and not realise the impact of the statements that they make. Um, and I think the the important thing is that we are vocal about it, um, appropriately vocal about it. So if someone genuinely has probably made a mistake, you just take them aside and say, look you know, this is the possible effect of the words that you said. That's not okay. I mean, you know, in terms of kind of things like no platforming, renaming stadiums, sometimes that might be appropriate. I mean, you know, as as, as the captain of a of a of an LGBT hockey team, I'm not going to be retweeting um comments of people who are openly homophobic. It's simply not acceptable. So I think it, there's a range of there's a range of issues, but there's well, there I mean the fact of the matter is, apart from the recent um fantastic step forward by the FAI I I've seen very little evidence of it being actively addressed mm, in no. Irish sport and I was blown away by the FAI um that gesture of of having the um the pride colors on, on the numbers I thought it was a, a fantastic open goodwill gesture and especially from a sport on a male side especially where we don't have enough openly gay men um obviously in contrast to the women's side who who maybe it's a bit more accepting of it but I just thought and that along with their their support videos with the men and women you know I just thought they were two big huge gestures on both sides that they were in sport and very open of uh, equality on every level and you know we can and that's the main thing like like to me now Israel Flau and his tweet about homophobia and his video and that people who won't repent go to hell to me he has to be sanctioned and hit hard for someone who's such an ad- athlete a role model um i'm i'm sure so many players men want to emulate him and be him and for him to openly to me now single out the L- LGBT community now is uh, for an athlete of his stature now I think he has to something had to be done about that and I certainly don't follow him but I was flicking through his Twitter page and you want to be a role model and you, you don't want to influence anyone but he has thousands millions of followers and to me he's someone who is in a position of influence and yeah, I just well don't that's think pro- I mean arguably if if um, what he said was said about um, people of particular ethnicity or if it was anti-Semitic his career yeah. would be over absolutely his career would be over so you know? why would we have tolerance with, with this instance it's the same thing like um, to say that you know obviously the NBA have their black month and I think that's fantastic where mm. the black players in that community um, wear t-shirts and they symbolise that and why shouldn't they they embrace their culture and, and where they're from and their heritage and, and you know I, I love seeing that and that's 
that's what makes the world go round is diversity, not on a, on a, on sexual orientation level, religious views, uh, culture. You know, it's just fantastic, and it's also important that you know in Ireland it's a small country and we're privileged to have fantastic athletes, but you have to remember the likes of Israel Folau, Brittany Grimer, um, all the NBA stars. We could list a thousand that are worldwide. It's important that they actually reach such a wider audience that I think it's even more important. Not taken away from the role, you know, the role that Irish athletes have here, but when you're reaching people who, you know, just may not have the same role models or their family situation, or so they're looking to these people for mm. guidance. Because that's the thing is, you know, if you can't see it, you can't be it. So exactly. it's the importance of hugely, yeah, being an out and proud queer mm. athlete isn't mm. it you know I think that it needs to start in terms of people being clubs and, and teams being proactive about it it has to start at a, at a very kind of young level as well um, at the moment um, I'm finishing up as the independent chair of the national LGBTI plus youth strategy and we've been working for a year and a half on, on this government strategy and uh, at the start of the process I was very keen to have sport included uh, at the beginning of it and we brought Sport Ireland on to the oversight committee to talk about how if the the point of these kind of strategies is how does any young LGBTI plus person not encounter any obstacles in their lives um, that their non-LGBTI plus counterparts uh, you know have 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 um you know these kind of very clear pathways to enjoying and, and leading fulfilled lives and we brought sport ireland on board there and we're, we're kind of talking about how um you know how could every club of every sport in ireland um be uh, welcoming and and and, and uh, inclusive and you kind of have to do that at a very young age because no more than the playground you know if you're a kid uh who's you know eight years old and is in you know is playing hurling in school or something and you are called a faggot or something and you mm. don't go back to training that is a tragedy to me because that that person's you know entire mental well-being their goals their um prospects in life could be you know ruined just by that one moment and so I suppose that, you know, the bigger organisations like the IRFU and the FAI and so on um, need to do the top down piece and they need to lead on it. But really in every school, in every club, in every community games, in every casual game on an estate, you know, that mm. those kind of things need to be to be made um, not just unacceptable, but but kids need need to. Um, this is about behavioural change in society mm. at large, you know, and support is is a part of the, of that fabric. Mm. Um, so, but I do think when you're saying Ireland is a small country, I think what is, you know, fantastic about that in terms of us being a global leader in LGBT oh, rights, which we are now, yeah. that we have the capacity to change these things very quickly. And the good thing about small countries is that you can actually you know you're not turning the oil tanker around like the, the Premier League yeah. is you can actually change things very quickly so you know something like the FAI did apart from it being a Whopper jersey yeah. uh, which I would like if they would sell they should be selling that are can they, they selling can it? we I got I better not say it in case she's listening but yeah I got um, a friend of mine's uh, partner was like uh, they're based in, in Birmingham now and she's like I need to get this for a sandwich and yeah. I was like Oh God, I look for it and it actually wasn't available. So, yeah, yeah, so they should if they sell wanted it. to maybe send us four copies. Yes. I think, Am I you know, allowed to say that? I think yeah, we'll that would really we'll nice gen- yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nice gesture. Good gesture. Good yeah. gesture yeah. of goodwill. Good we could model gesture. them. Yeah. Yeah. Thank <laughs> you, FAI, if you're listening. Um, speaking about kind of, you know, the, the role of profile and stuff, the role of new media in, in helping athletes own 
their narrative and own their coming out story. I mean, I think in previous experiences, like we were talking about the Justin and John Fashiony stuff, um, and I can't think off the top of my head of any female athletes that it's happened to, although I know it absolutely probably has, um, of the media kind of outing previously closeted players. And you have now, you know, uh, media like Instagram and Facebook and whatever and, and athletes have a direct path to their fan bases and they can you know showcase their relationships and, and all of that stuff so I suppose one of the things that then happens is that you have a different base right so when I was researching this episode I was thinking okay great which athletes do I approach or who can I ask like what's the standard for you know tagging an athlete as LGBT athlete or you know and I was looking at Lindsay I looked at you and I mm-hmm. thought okay great she's you know she's talked about her wife openly we're good you you know you've we're friends Rach so like yeah. I'm pretty good I can you contact cool. you yeah so you know but what's the standard in the media like what what risk is there that you would kind of run or, or what's the yeah that's an interesting question line? I remember uh, talking to the second captains guys when they were doing an episode on um, homophobia and sport for their TV show and and uh talking to Ken early about that I think it was and he's saying you know who who could we call you know who again like tr- overly cautious and, and you know rightly mm. so but I think it's about h- how people own their identities themselves I mean if somebody mm. um uh is you know has has talked about being um LGBT then you know I was about to say fair game but no, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, I think you can like talk to people in, 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 you know, in private saying, are you willing to talk on this topic and all that kind of stuff? I mean, the outing of athletes is is a tricky thing. I mean, obviously, there's been an awful lot of conversations, um, you know, in, with, with regards to men's tennis and, and high profile players and that and uh, perhaps the reluctance of, of players to come out uh, in that sport. And it, what happens is when you know, large swathes of the media know that somebody's gay, but the player is still not going to come out for whatever reason, you then have this kind of whispering thing or like it's a bit more wink, wink, nudge, nudge and the players actually lose the the control over that narrative. But I don't think you should be outing players unless that player is, you know, if it's kind of like politicians. If you have some Republican politician who is like banging on about, you know, being a homophobe and talking about, you know, hell, you know, damnation and um, talking about anti, um, anti uh, gay stuff and then turns out to be gay themselves, well, then you can kind of out them on the hypocrisy end of things. Mm. But I mean, I don't think, um, pl- you know, players who may also, we don't really know, like you might think that a player is closeted, but they could be completely out in their private life you know but it, that's that's what I kind of mean I think that there's a really fine line because the other side of that line then is you get you know like oh Lindsay and her friend Claire so you get kind of mm. closeted gal yeah. pals yeah well, I don't know right? why recently in the last like six weeks we got called sisters twice I was like I got really <laughs> angry I was like we nothing alike but uh yeah um that's a tough one because I said I would have been at that point where as I said Amory said it to me I was like no how dare you and like there was no woman on the scene but obviously I said what I was giving off so it's and I suppose to me it's natural to say I'm married it's natural to say I'm wife no more than my son says when he is a, a mama that's me and, and Claire's mommy and, and that rolls off the tongue um, but I suppose even for us with skills and stuff we're probably slightly conscious because we just have not anything just to be make sure that it is the right skill for him and our family life and that's mm-hmm. no judgment on skill that everyone we've looked at has been fantastic you know mm-hmm. but um, I suppose we are evolving 
but yeah. have we involved fully and it's not until mm. we get our children involved that obviously mm. you have that protective yeah. mechanism yeah and, I, th- and I, th- I think it underlines the importance of for those people who are comfortable in themselves mm-hmm. they really need to step up and I suppose in in Pride Month, as we're calling it now, or like in <laughs> it, it, during it, Pride, during Pride, um, I, I suppose that's the one thing I would say, and that's the one thing I always say to anyone generally. I mean, it is important if you are part of this community and if you're comfortable in doing that, you have to give back, you have to volunteer at your club, you have to, um, you know, get involved, um, in in any way you can, especially women. I mean, I've been, I've essentially taken on positions because I know that if I don't do it, the room will be, the the room discussing LGBT issues will be all guys. Mm. Um, Stale and pale. Yeah, well, I I don't know about the stale and pale, but but (laughs) maybe the pale part, right? But I mean, it's just so important to, you know, accept that anyone can be a role model. I mean, you can play for the Irish team or you can, you know, wander into a hockey club and two years later say oh sure yeah okay I'll run that um you know there's there's a there's a level um where you can there's a there's a there's a spectrum of involvement and there's a spectrum of giving back and it's really really important to step up and actually say do you know what I'm going to try and make Ireland better whether it's in our schools whether it's in our clubs or whether it's just in in, in whatever sphere you're good at and what you can do I'd vote for you, Rachel. <laughs> oh, okay. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> Three votes. Um, so listen, we're going to end on this note because we, we've taken up enough of your time. So we are asking all guests from now on uh, for a quick fire fair game recommends. Um, so I've given you guys a little bit of warning. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not sure if you want to participate in this. I haven't given you any warning. So Why wait until not? you hear it. Um, okay, so we're asking you for a piece of the following. Um, a piece about women's sport that you've read recently or a sporting event that you're planning on attending TV show or movie they're my favourites because I am out of Netflix suggestions at the minute uh, relating to women in sport that you recommend um, so Lindsay oh well go to the Irish Women's uh, Small Countries which is being hosted in uh, Mark Dyke Arena from the 26th of June to the 1st of July Fab the we women w- need you we will tweet out links to that bums on seats matter bums on seats please wear your green bring your loudest voices and cheer them on because they're fantastic okay uh, you send me a link to that and I will, I will of course. I'll do the business Rachel Excellent. amazing um, I'm going to go for for two events two sneaky ones um, I, I'm, I'm rubbish on the books and films you're way better than me on that um, the first event is actually coming up this Friday it's the Pride Run in the Phoenix Park um, it is an absolutely brilliant event every year um, it is uh, in aid of uh, three really important charities uh, or, uh, and NGO organisations so Tenny Gay Switchboard and Dublin Lesbians Dublin, Dublin Lesbian Line um, it's sponsored by Arthur Cox, who were there before being gay, was sponsoring being gay was cool, which is always great. <laughs> and it's uh, generally a, a really good day out. It's so a that's, riot of a night. It's good crack. Uh, it's brilliant crack. And the second thing but is... Can you still register? Unfortunately, you can't still register. So I'm going to recommend a thing that you can still go to. Okay, go on. So talk. that's why I've got two. So the second thing is uh, the Women's Hockey World Cup. Um, it is on in the UK. It's a short hop over the... Uh, over the channel it is going to be amazing crack it's set to be the most spectated event women's event in the UK ever we may be having a podcast so uh, well there you go a beautiful beautiful link in you can replay that fair game at the start of your fair game uh, no it's it's brilliant there's a gang of us going including uh, Elaine Buckley formerly of this parish um, so it's set to be a brilliant event there's still loads of tickets left and there's still loads of tickets to the Irish women's games so London, make sure you get London London 
there you go. It's in July, event. isn't it? Hockey is not my thing. Weapon, anything I can swing as a weapon. But I'd We've seen you on the pitch. We wouldn't give you a stick. Can no, you I would That's the same with Camogie. <laughs> Plus, I didn't like the fact they wore a skirt. So that was two notes. Skirt, no. You, you've, got your little sh- you, you've got your little shorts under it. Ah, stop. It still looks like a skirt. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have the ties for a skirt. <laughs> um. Well, I suppose my event or thing to do I think join the pink ladies I'm not going to somebody else better (laughs) I'm so taken aback you're advocating for the cult (laughs) this is a long-standing joke about how I just won't um, play hockey ever but I think you know I I do love the club from a distance would you play rugby um yeah I probably would play rugby excellent I like um getting my anger out in ways that Una you're in <laughs> well my thing to watch is a, it's kind of an oldie um, but just for anybody who hasn't seen it it's a documentary on Netflix called Finding Traction which is about an endurance run um, that a woman kind of under undertakes um, it's a 273 mile run over four days and it's just a very inspiring documentary so check that out if you haven't already and mine is a little bit left field. Actually, I was going to recommend the Pride one as well, but you've stolen that from me. So I'm <sighs> going to recommend um, our friends over in the Second Captains. They did an interview with Chris Mosier, who's the first trans- transgender male athlete um, to represent America and be uh, sponsored by Nike. Now, it is anti-fair game custom for us to recommend um, media created by two men, but they have a discussion about sexism in sport and... Um, that I just think is really eloquently done. Um, so yeah, it's over on the uh, Second Captain's World Service. So it's it's worth your money. Um, guys, listen, thank you so much for your time, for coming this for a game, Hot Seats. Thank you very much. For and for joining me as co-host, Jenna. Thank you very much. No problem. Uh, new rugby new rugby player extraordinaire. <laughs> yeah. Coming soon on another episode of Fair Game. <laughs> Actually, that could be a good media ploy, the, you know, the beginner. The beginner to the elite. Oh, this is the the Netflix Netflix documentary. That's yeah, and we'd be recommending that in the next episode as well. We could probably one to watch. <laughs> yeah. So big ta- big thanks to Rachel Barry and Lindsay Pete for taking some time out of their busy weeks to join us in Fair Game HQ. You can follow them on Twitter at Rachel Barry and at Lily Pete Eleven. Major thank you to my co-host for this episode, Una Malali, who so generously gave of her time to help us look after this topic with her signature mix of honesty, empathy, and crack. You can follow her on Twitter at Una Malali. While four you're L's, four L's. Una M U L L. A-L-L-Y Yes for us Follow us on Twitter While you're there too It's at Fair Game Cast Noel's There's so <laughs> much Live action Involving Irish sports women To look forward to In the coming months That's where we Provide you with All of the necessary Information to keep you In the loop And hopefully get you Out onto the sidelines And while you're at it Subscribe iTunes, Android Stitcher and Spotify That way you can get The next one delivered Directly to you That's it for this episode We'll talk to you again Next month yeah.